Stay hungry, stay foolish. Our guest is the co-author with Dan Siegel of the two New York Times bestsellers, The Whole Brain Child and No Drama Discipline, each of which has been translated into dozens of languages, as well as The Yes Brain and The Power of Showing Up, and the forthcoming book, Bottom Line for Baby. She is the founder and executive director of the Center for Connection, a multidisciplinary clinical practice in South California. Our guest keynotes conferences and conducts workshops for parents, educators, and clinicians all over the world, and she frequently consults with schools, businesses, and other organizations. The most important part of her bio, she says, is that she's a mom to three boys. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the show, Dr. Tina Payne Bryson. Welcome to the show, Tina. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I always love getting to visit with you. And now seems like an important time to connect and really support our families and fellow community members. I've really just three questions for you today. And they're all based around the coronavirus impact that it's had on society, particularly on parents. And what I'm hoping to get from today's show is that children are impacted the least possible in a negative way. So one of the things that has come up and I've heard parents talk about this is that children are very savvy and they know if parents aren't being totally honest and they can sense hesitation and anxiety and equally they can get overwhelmed with explanations for example explaining what COVID-19 is and what are the impacts and why are we cocooning etc. So how do we approach these situations Tina? You know it's really important that we remember first that we set the emotional tone in our families as the parents. And so if we are terrified and stressed out and feeling a lot of internal chaos, our children are going to feel that also. First of all, and we'll talk probably more about this with no matter what question you ask me, because it's so important that we have to manage and regulate our own emotional states so that we can be safe people for our children. But in terms of the knowledge that's coming in and that's changing every day, and our kids really do, even if they're very little, want to and actually need to know what's going on, but only in a developmentally appropriate amount of information. So, you know, I, as a clinician, I, I, I saw a handful of clients that were four and five years old. They were bright children who cognitively had a lot of questions about things that happened in the world, like natural disasters, and their parents would have the news on, but they didn't have the emotional maturity to process it all and to handle it. So keep in mind, even if your child is is asking a lot of questions, just because they're asking the questions doesn't mean they're emotionally able to hold all of that. So start by asking your kid, what do you know? You know, what have you heard? Or, you know, the news keeps changing. You know, what are you hearing? And really start with that. When kids are really little, it's important we keep it really simple and just say, yes, there's a virus. It's making people sick. But now the grownups are getting better at solving the problem and the grownups are working together to keep us all as safe as we can. And that's why we're staying home. So just keep it really simple and keep that positive message about how the grownups are working together, that the scientists are learning new things every day, and this is really helpful. So with that, you know, with younger kids, we start with that and keep it positive. With our older kids, 
I have found, and I have boys who are 13, 16, and 20, the college age and young adults, late teenage aged kids, they need more information because they have such a strong drive to differentiate from us as adults, to build their own independence. And they have such a huge drive socially to be connected with their friends. And so when we're telling them, you have to stay home, you can't go out. This is civic responsibility for our world. We've got to give them facts and information and have them know what's happening for them to understand and process the gravity of why this is so important. But again, we always want to have that you know, that positive spin on it and try to not make it too political, just really talking about how the world is coming together to learn from what's already been happening, how people are showing up for each other and trying as best they can to share resources. So we really can, no matter what information we're giving at whatever age, keep in mind this last piece here of what I want to say. And that is that what we give attention to, what we focus on repeatedly activates the brain in different ways. And so if we're giving a lot of attention to how horrible this is without also giving a lot of attention to the good things that are happening, the things we're learning, the way people are coming together, etc., then we're going to be activating the more reactive fight and fear centers of the brain. Now that's happening probably anyway because this is a terrifying time for all of us. But if we also give attention to this idea of people coming together and the good things that are happening, we can also activate the higher structures of the brain that lead to empathy and problem solving and and those kinds of things. So it's important we sit in gratitude and positivity in the midst of all of this as well. And that brings me to another question, which is tightly linked to that, which is, the focus on keeping up on the news, focusing on the latest developments of the crisis, etc. And this for adults as well, focusing on that news and that constant barrage of pretty much negative news can be pretty damaging. And with that in mind, passing that on to the children, because if the parent is in fear, the child's going to pick up that fear as well. Yeah, they're very tuned into us. So I think, you know, everyone has a different sort of set point, but what one of the most important things we can do, and I, I would actually say, just as an overall statement, you know, there are two super important things that should really guide us as parents through this whole thing. The first is this cultivating our own wellness, okay? Because Again, it's you're exactly right. If we are sitting swimming in the news and we're sitting in fear, and a lot of us are fearful not just about our own health or our family's health, we're really concerned about our older parents, we're really concerned about medically vulnerable people in our families, we're concerned financially. For me, I have tremendous concern about economic disparities and how families who have way less resources are so much more impacted. And those kinds of things sit heavy with me as well. But if I don't cultivate my own wellness, if I sit and swim in the news all day, I find myself getting um, more short-tempered, I'm grumpier, I'm more fearful. So knowing our own set point and knowing that we should really set some uh, structure for ourselves and have some discipline, making sure we are exercising or moving our bodies every day, making sure we're getting enough sleep every day, making sure we're informed, but set some rules for yourself. For me, when I wake up in the morning, I'll spend 10 or 15 minutes catching up on the, the headlines and then 
sometime in the evening before I go to bed. I give maybe another 15 minutes or so to watch the news, to get caught up. I find that if I just have the news on all the time, it is not good for me. It does not cultivate wellness. So things that we know cultivate wellness, gratitude, sleep, exercise, connecting with other people, playfulness or being silly and fun, mindfulness, all kinds of things cultivate wellness. And that's unique to every person to some degree. So really caring for ourselves so that we can be those safe people. The second most important thing we can do besides cultivating our own wellness, and that may mean sheltering ourselves from news too much, is to really be the safe haven for our children and help them feel safe and connected. And that's super important. We can talk about how to do that. You preempted me here because I was going to mention your recent book with Daniel Siegel, your latest one, which is The Power of Showing Up, a fantastic book. But in that, you talk about making children feel soothed, safe and secure. And you talk about how we can do that as parents. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously this is a new thing. We've never been in our lifetime through a pandemic, a global pandemic. And, you know, a lot of people have a lot of concerns about how this is going to impact their children academically, emotionally, socially. You know, I got an email this week from a mom with a, a, um, a an only child who's not around any other children. And um, so we're concerned about all of these ways that our children are going to be impacted. Now, we don't have any data on that because, you know, we're in the middle of it, right? But we do know, based on 50 years of research, that one of the best predictors for how well kids turn out is that they have secure attachment with at least one person. Now, secure attachment is a mammal instinct or a drive that's inborn in us that causes us to go to someone, our attachment figure or a parent, our caregiver, particularly during times of distress. So our attachment system was actually set up for this very thing. That when something goes wrong, when we're in distress, when there's a problem, when we're upset, that that's when we need our caregivers the most. And when they show up for us and help us feel safe, which is protecting them from harm, but also not being the source of their harm or terror, seen where we really tune into their internal world and we really understand how they're feeling. We say, how are you feeling about this? You know, do you want to tell me about that? And we just tune into their internal world. Soothed, that's where we comfort them and we nurture them and we rub their backs and we hug them and we say, you, you know, you look, you look really angry or you're, you seem to be really afraid. I'm right here with you, right? And then overall, when kids have parents who are not perfect, but that help them feel safe, seen, and soothed most of the time. And, and when, we, when we mess up, you know, we yell or we get short-tempered, we repair with them. When those happen, when the safe, seen, and soothed happen repeatedly enough, we get that fourth S, secure, which really is where the child's brain wires to know that when they are in distress, when the world is falling apart around them, someone will show up for them and keep them safe. And that's why it's so important that we stay that sort of safe harbor for our children so that we can show up for them. We can show up for them, not just physically, but emotionally, that we can really be present to them. And, you know, this does not mean that we have to have engaged, reflective dialogues where we're, you know, staring deep into their eyes and, and talking about all their feelings all day long. That would be intrusive, frankly, and <laughs> impossible. So this is really about taking moments each day to be engaged with your child, 
I would say, you know, a lot of families are trying to do school at home and parents have way too high of expectations about having the perfect school day or the, you know, the structured schedule. And of course, structure and, and routine is important, but it's so much more important right now that we are just emotionally present, that we show up for our kids and help them feel safe. And they cannot feel safe if we are not grounded, where we can assure them that we are going to take care of them. And we have to take care of ourselves to do that. You know, and just one other thing I'll mention is, you know, there is other research, like, you know, uh, research that was done in England in World War, after World War II, you know, some kids were taken away from their parents for safety, like take them, taken out of the, the country, the city. Um, and then other kids stayed with their parents. And even though there were bombs falling and, and things were terrifying, the ones that stayed with their parents did much better in terms of their outcomes than the children that were away from their parents. And this just goes to show that us being present and being connected and engaged with our kids, that is key to their resilience. That's what 50 years of attachment research tells us. Where all this came from was I was uh, playing outside the back with my kids the other day and one of them almost fell out of the trampoline and I kind of snapped at him. And, and the reason I did was I didn't want to have to bring him to the hospital because of the, obviously the risk that that would entail. Yeah. And my wife said something that just changed my whole perspective. She said she was reading your work and you said how we actually show up during these moments and how we make the child feel during these moments is a unique opportunity to make that child feel ultra secure, to connect unbelievably well with the child because of this moment. And the term I read was called post-traumatic growth rather than post-traumatic stress. These moments of stress and, you know, anxiety that we go through, but we pull through and it binds us together. And I really do feel it's a unique opportunity in the world, in our lifetime, to bind as families and create those bonds that will just absolutely make their lives and our lives worth living. Oh, that was, you said that so beautifully and your wife is sounds wonderful. <laughs> she sounds like a wise coach. Um, and uh, we all need that, right? We all have those moments where we, where we snap or where our, our temper or our patience gets thin. And I think you're exactly right. And, and keep this in mind, particularly if your children are young, they're not going to remember the ins and outs and the details of what happened in these weeks and months. What they'll remember is how we are with them during this time. And if during this time, we really can show up for them in ways that make them feel safe and connected and loved. And that doesn't mean we don't mess up, right? We just repair with them when we do and say something like, you know what, I was afraid when, when I was going to fall or when you were going to fall because I worried might, we might have to go to the hospital. So I had a big feeling there. And I'm sorry, I wish I had said that in a kinder way, right? You just make that repair. But this, this really is a unique time because if we can show up for our kids when something this big happens, they feel more confident we can show up for them for the littler things too. And so we're sort of, it's, it's, a, it's almost an opportunity to make a huge deposit in the trust, connection, safe harbor, secure attachment bank, right? And I'll also say too, I think, you know, people have made all kinds of jokes with memes, like how dogs are so happy that this is happening because their people are home all the time and cats are annoyed because they're like, why are you in my space all the time? Right. Um, I think about this with our children <laughs> and our children, you know, this is also a unique opportunity for them to have some engaged time with their parents. And many of us are working from home. And so we, you know, we can't be engaged with them all the time. And that's, 
tough because they may not understand that. But this is also a really unique time to simplify and to go back to what we know is most important for happiness. And their, you know, 100-year-long study on happiness says it's the quality of our relationships and our connections and our engagement with each other. And as I mentioned, I have, you know, a college-aged kid um, who has had to move back home. And um, and we've I've spent a lot of time talking with other um, parenting experts and friends of mine who have college-age students, and we're all trying to adapt to this because their freedom at a time where that's everything has been retracted. And so what I've come to discover, though, is I've had these conversations that our college-aged young adult children are also still enjoying what the younger ones are enjoying silliness, laughter, game, you know, playing games, you know, watching old videos when they were little. It is, it's a unique time to come together in our families, in our communities. I've been so touched by how people are showing up for each other locally and even globally. And I think it's a beautiful thing that really could be important in terms of how we move forward. And it is a unique time for our families and to really use this as an opportunity, you know, 70% of people who go through something traumatic say that they grew or were enriched in some way as a result of that. That's what that post-traumatic growth research says. And that's phenomenal. There will be loss and grieving and trauma from our healthcare workers and from people that are on the front lines. And it's important that we show up for them and support them as well. And we will get through this together. I am so confident. I even believe that there'll be some really good things that come of this as well. That's the exact reason I reached out to you. So it's always a pleasure <laughs> connecting with you. I will link to your new book, The Power of Showing Up. And by the way, your show we did a few months ago, The Yes Brain Child, is still being listened to hundreds of times a day. So it still proves to be a very oh, popular, that's great. Yeah, popular episode on the show. So Tina Payne Bryson, thank you as always for joining us. Thank you so much. <laughs> 